had a chance to meet you yet. My name is Melissa. I serve here as the executive pastor. I've been gone for a few weeks um, doing some family stuff and uh, student camp, and the student camp gave me COVID, so I was sick with COVID, so it's my gift uh, from student camp, but um, I'm glad you guys are here. Our lead pastor, Bill, is on vacation in Costa Rica living his best surfing life. Saw a picture of him in flip-flops. I don't know. I'm traumatized a little bit. Um, He is living his best life, and so I'm glad him and Mandy and the kids get some time off. Um, But if this is your first time with us today, thank you for being here. We would love to connect with you. We have a really easy way for you to do that. You can text WELCOME to 817-755-1668. It's also on the sticker in the seat back in front of you. Um, You'll connect with the pastor, and we'll just help you guys um, answer any questions or navigate kind of your journey here at the table and figure out kind of what you're looking for uh, in a church. Uh, I met some folks today that are church shopping, which is the worst and the most awkward. So we just embrace it. Um, so enjoy church shopping. Hope we're the one that, uh, that you stick with. But if not, uh, good luck. So anyways, uh, today we are uh, wrapping up our sermon series called Deep Cuts. And this is a series where we have been looking at stories in the Bible that they don't normally teach in Sunday school, which I told Bill, I didn't grow up in church, so I wasn't at Sunday school. Um, so all of these stories to me are new and refreshing, but they're also actually really weird. He picked some weird ones for us to teach on. So um, we've, been, we've been looking at some different, different stories here, and I was talking to our students the other night um, about just there's some odd things that we find in Scripture, and um, we were talking about, you know, it can be confusing and intimidating, and um, uh, Scripture and reading the Bible can, and I, I was constantly reminding, I'm reminding myself and reminding them to look for what God is, what the Scriptures are teaching me about God. Try not to get too distracted about some of the odd things, but what does this tell me about God's character? And we know the Bible, for a lot of us, can be um, intimidating and um, our students were, um, we've really been encouraging them to bring a Bible to, to church on Wednesdays. And some of the girls told me, like, we don't like to bring our Bibles because we don't know ever where everything is. And we say, hey, turn to the book of Matthew, and they're not sure where it is. And we uh, just said, okay, the ta- there's a table of contents in every Bible. So we're not in this church. We are not going to be embarrassed about using the table of contents or our tabs or whatever. Look on with your, cheat off your partner, whatever it is. We're not going to be embarrassed about opening the Word of God. And so if you need a Bible, we have Bibles, um, and all of our Bibles have table of contents. So you guys will be right with us. So if you want to open your Bible and you need a few minutes to look at the table of contents, we're going to be in Judges today, okay? So I'm giving you a heads up. But um, so we are picking up um, from the story that Bill was telling us a couple weeks ago about Gideon. Last week we had Serve Sunday, which is um, something we do as a church. Every time there's a fifth Sunday in a month, we go and serve alongside awesome organizations. So I just want to thank you guys for who served um, and who gave, donated blood, donated um, items we needed for the projects. I'm just so thankful that you guys were a part of that. And I just love that our church has committed to do that since the very beginning. And it's something that we try to be really faithful to and, and uh, just work alongside organizations that do awesome things. So uh, thank you guys so much for being a part of that. So just a really brief recap on where Bill left off a couple weeks ago. Okay, So we see God choosing a very reluctant Gideon um, to lead the Israelites. And Gideon's like, um, I don't think I'm the guy. And God's like, no, um, 
very patient. He gives us these signs. Um, he gives uh, Gideon signs that he's asking him to do this. And really, it's just an amazing story of God's character that he does call people who are very unexpected, but he equips them as well. So he doesn't just leave them to figure it out. He equips the people that he calls. And that gives me a lot of encouragement because um, if, you know, someone can say, no, God, I'm not, it's not me. There's a place for me to, to in this story. Um, and so the Israelites, as we're going into Judges, was in, uh, into Judges 7, were in this um, just season of rest. They had prosperity. They had a wonderful leader um, in Deborah. And in this season of favor, and blessing, they got really lazy, kind of kicked their feet up, got complacent, and they began to think they were killing it, right? We're just so awesome. Look at us, just doing everything great, um, and just got a little too big for their britches, um, as we say in the South, and you'll hear my country come out a little bit. Um, and God was like, okay, probably need to get put in our place a little bit. And then they, we enter into this time where there was a lot of oppression and adversity, um, and fear. And we see the nation of Israel cycling through this in scripture all the time. They're like teenagers. Okay, sorry, I'm raising a teenager. I can speak on this. So if you're a teenager in the room, you might be shocked by this, but your parents aren't. Okay, so like, but you know, there's always this recognition of, oh God, and God shows up for them, and then they get comfortable, and then they disobey, and then they repent, and then they go, oh, okay, God, we really do love you. And he's like, okay. And then he, it's a cycle we see. Okay, so the Israelites are like raising teenagers, all right? But God is so patient and merciful with them. And so where we pick up today, God has commanded Gideon to raise up an army to go fight the Midianites, this oppressive elite army. And so we're going to be in Judges 7 if you find their, your way there. Um, if you have the Bible app on your phone, you can go to the live event and see it there, and it should be on the screen behind me. So we're going to look at it in a hole, and then we're going to kind of chew it up in little pieces. So join me in Judges 7, um, 1 through 8. Now, I'm very country, and there are certain names in the Bible that my country really hank comes out, and so um, this, this is one of them, okay? Uh, Jerubbabel, okay, you can hear it a little bit. Um, that name uh, means to deal or wrestle with Baal. And so just to, right off the bat, we see Gideon being called by another name. And he was, during this time, the uh, Israelites were involved in this deep worship and were um, have idols built for Baal. And Gideon goes, he tears them down, he puts up an altar for the Lord. People are not excited about this. But this is when Gideon begins to step into his role. Um, and that's the nickname that they've given him, Okay. And all the troops who were with him got up early and camped beside the spring of Herod. The camp of Midian was north of them and below the hill of Morah in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to them. Or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. Now announce to the truth, whoever, troops, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 of the troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. Then the Lord said to Gideon, there's still too many troops. Take them down to the water, and I'll test them for you there. If I say to you, this one can go with you, he can go. But if I say about anyone, this one cannot go with you, he cannot. So he brought the troops down to the water, and the Lord said to Gideon, separate everyone who laps 
water with his tongue like a dog and do the same with everyone who kneels to drink. The number of those who laughed with their hands to their mouths was 300 men, and all the rest of the troops knelt to drink. And the Lord said to Gideon, I will deliver you with these 300 who lapped and hand the Midianites over to you. But everyone else has to go home. So Gideon sent all the Israelites to their tents and kept the 300 who took the provisions and their trumpets. The camp of Midian was below him in the valley. Okay, so there's some things to digest here. Okay, Gideon has a ragtag army of 32,000 soldiers. Okay, he's going up against an elite fighting unit with 135,000 soldiers. Okay, God's like, mm-mm. Too many. And uh, I'm sure Gideon was like, hey, these maths, they're not working out for me. Like, um, we're already, <laughs> we're already um, at a deficit, and now you are making us weaker. And this is something I really want you guys to hang on as we continue this morning. All throughout Scripture, we see God using consistently the wrong people to bring glory to himself. The wrong situations. And all of these people are not perfect or the most qualified or, the, or uh, the most expected, but they're willing and they're obedient. And God shows us his power through our weaknesses time and time again. Isn't that just the worst? I mean, we don't, we don't want to talk about our weaknesses, like the things that we're bad at. Let's just start there, right? Like we're interviewing for a job. You know, they always ask you questions like, what's your greatest strength and what's your greatest weakness? You're like, oh, I just care too much. I work too hard. You know, that's my weakness. Okay, we don't like to say, you know what? I actually have no idea how I got this interview. I don't really know what I'm going to do. And I love to procrastinate and eat at my desk. You know what I mean? Like we don't talk about that stuff, okay? We do not like our deficiencies or our, where we're lacking to be out in the world for everyone to see. So we, we, hide behind, we hide them. We hide behind them okay? so that uh, we don't ever really have to do anything uncomfortable for us, right? But that's where God wants to work. That's actually where he does his best work. And that is the way of a Christian. It's so upside down and counter to the rest of the world. We are called to live so radically, so radically different than everything else around us. One of the things that I, I often think, there's a book, um, All Small Things, I think that's the name of it. Um, there's a quote that says, we can never, we, we forget, we can never be too small for God to use, but we can get too big. He chooses small broken vessels to shine his glory through so there's no doubt where that power and glory is coming from. And so what do we see when we see God here? What are we seeing God do? What does it look like for God to use weak people to display his glory? I think there's three things that I pulled out of this text I want to share with you. This is what the Lord is working on. I was telling Randy earlier Man, sometimes you get scripture and you're in it and it's just like God is getting up in your chili and like this one got in my chili. So this, I'm just sharing with you what I feel like the Lord is teaching me right now and working on me. And uh, the first thing we see is he deals with our pride. He deals with our pride. Look at verse two. If 
I can find it. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many troops for me to hand the Midianites over to you, over to them, or else Israel might elevate themselves over me and say, my own strength saved me. Lest Israel boast. That's what he's doing with the nation of Israel. He's dealing with their pride. He's bringing them low to deal with their pride. And we see this pride and their tendency and the cycle that they tend to go through where they win a few battles and they're like, we're awesome. And they forget who is doing that. They forget who's giving them the power to be successful. And we do this, right? Some things start going in the right direction and we are doing awesome. That's not when we need the Lord. But that's probably when we need the Lord to be reminded. As we are climbing up to the throne in our own lives and telling God, hey, I have a few suggestions for you just to like, you know, make this a little more efficient, right? He's like, oh yeah, tell me. Okay. And we become the center of our universe with all of our awesomeness. And when things are going well, we pat ourselves on the back instead of praising the one who is working all things for our good. And I think what we can see here is the pride that elevates you will most likely destroy you. The pride that elevates you will most likely destroy you. And God hates pride. It robs him of his glory, our praise to him, our obedience. It diverts our attention from his majesty, his power, the rule over our lives. And pride is so sneaky. Because when we think of someone prideful, we think of like the dude in the mirror or the window like flexing all the time, right? Like, look how awesome I am, okay? That's not always what pride looks like. And many of us would be like, I'm an incredibly humble person. Well, prideful. <laughs> you know, we, we, oh, I'm, so, I'm so humble. It doesn't always look like that guy, you know, that passes every mirror or whatever and flexes. It looks like those of us who control things out of fear, out of fear of rejection, out of fear of messing up, out of fear of failure. Those of us who think we can use people to, to meet some need or fill some desire in us that God should be filling. It's like those of us who think every time we walk in a room that everybody's talking about us, everybody's looking at us, everybody's judging us, and it paralyzes us in our life because we can't move forward because we think that everybody's thinking about us. No one's thinking about you. No one's thinking about you as much as you're thinking about yourself. That's how pride is so sneaky. Pride is a joy killer and a praise stealer. It's in all of us. Sometimes we just don't recognize it. And the opposite of pride is humility. And we see humility in our lives in a couple ways. I think we see humility in our lives, the recognition of who God is in our lives and in the universe, his power his presence, so we see it that humility that way, or through the process of being humbled by God when our pride gets checked. I love how Paul talks about pride in the New Testament, Second Corinthians. Paul says, because of all these incredible things he experienced with his Lord and these revelations that he's seen, I was given this thorn in my flesh to keep me humble. To keep me aware of my weaknesses because that's what keeps me at the feet of Jesus. 
depending on him. He says, he asked the Lord to remove this thorn, and the Lord said to him, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is perfected in weakness. I will boast all the more about my weaknesses, so the power, Christ's power may reside in me. So I take pleasure in weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties for the sake of Christ. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. Here's what I've come to understand about my walk with the Lord. I can walk in my own strength or in God's, but not both. I have to decide who's boss in my life. And my relationship with Jesus must be defined by never reaching a point where I outgrow my need for him. If it does, my pride has positioned me on that throne instead of God. And I'll rob myself. We rob ourselves of experiencing God's power and glory and mercy through our pride. And God is dealing with pride here with Gideon. He's not wanting, he's wanting to make sure there is no mistake for anyone where the power that this Midian army is about to see through Gideon, where it came from. God is dealing with the pride in our lives, and he's reminding us to operate from a place of honesty, right? Honesty about our weaknesses, the things that we don't want the world to see. But allow those weaknesses to keep us at the feet of Jesus. I've shared this before. I struggle with anxiety. I have for as long as I can remember. And I go to counseling. I take medication. I try to have really good coping strategies. Um, But I often feel a lot of shame and guilt about having anxiety. It's something that... um, I definitely struggle with it. And I, and I try to put on a good face a lot of times. Like, I'm fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. It's great. We're fine. Everything's good. Right? Like the fine. If I hear you say fine, that's a red flag for me. I'm like, okay. And then we can cry together and it's fine. We'll work through it. Right? So I try to put on a, a good face. And our staff, um, I was talking to their staff recently, not too recently, the last few months about this. And, um, and they were so gracious to me to remind me of the value of the thorn. The thorn of anxiety is riddled with so much pride for me. Um, It keeps me from seeking Jesus. It keeps me from trying to control everything. It keeps me from being connected to that desperation that brought me to the place of surrendering to my Savior in the first place. The thorn, that weakness, has been so good in my life. God's been so good in my weakness to bring people alongside me to walk this journey with me. And then on the other side of that goodness to allow me in my weakness to walk with other people. I think God allows the places of our deepest weakness, pain, wounds, to be used in his kingdom for his glory to minister to other people and in turn allow healing for ourselves and glory for him. And if I cover my weakness, I don't want to be embarrassed. I don't want to be honest. I don't want people to know. I prevent myself from being a part of being used by God 
to bring glory to himself. I miss opportunities to allow freedom to be unlocked for someone else who might be looking for someone who is also walking in a weakness but staying at the feet of Jesus. Many times we would rather save face than allow God to use us. Many of us suffer in silence in our weaknesses and alone and isolated because we'd rather let people think we have it all together. Listen, no one thinks that. No, that was, that was kind of a joke. Just breathe. Okay. We all have stuff. No one has it all the way together. Okay, we're all seeking and searching and fighting against something. But we'd rather save face than allow God to use our weaknesses. So we see him dealing with pride. He gets us off the throne of our lives to ensure that he gets all the glory. That's what he's doing here with Gideon. He's like, okay, yeah, yeah, 32. Let's give you 300. Now we'll really see how good you are. He gets to display his glory. And the second thing we see is he increases our dependency on him. Verse 3. Now announce to the truth, whoever is fearful and trembling may turn away, turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 troops turned back, but 10,000 remained. And we see then again he goes and he separates the troops even further and leaves Gideon with 300 versus 135,000 of the most elite soldiers. And as he takes away, he is drawing Gideon to himself because he wants him to realize that he is the best thing that Gideon could have in this fight. He is the most powerful thing that Gideon could have in this fight. And it reminds me of this phrase, us Christians, we say some weird things sometimes, okay? We have to address it. Here's one of the things we say. God will never give you more than you can handle. Yes, he will. You don't think Gideon, you think Gideon can handle 135,000 with 300? The pressure, the weakness, those things that are like so big, that makes us more dependent on God. Those are the moments where we realize I need a savior. Yes, you will be given more than you can handle. I think it's flippant when we say otherwise. It takes the glory and the power from God of what he is capable of doing in our weakness. Can we find praise in those desperate moments? We are so good at going everywhere to deal with weakness but to God when life is weighing us down. In weakness, we find awareness of how much we need a Savior. In weakness, we find awareness of how much we need a Savior. And when we have all the strength and we are killing it, we don't think about needing a Savior because we're doing awesome. Does God let things get hard and unravel to increase our awareness and dependency on him? Look at Gideon. God is removing provision Dealing with pride and doing it to remind him, I am all you need. I am sufficient. I am enough. When Matt and I were young married, uh, we were really bad at it. And um, that was a joke. Okay, it wasn't, but it's fine. 
Uh, we were bad at it. I was really bad at it. I was not good at being married. And I just thought if he would just do all the things that I want him to do and tell him to do and not tell him but expect him to do, we will be fine. And um, we weren't. And we started going to church. Um, I went very begrudgingly, honestly, to go to church. And I just thought, well, I'll go because maybe they'll fix him and our lives will get straightened out, right? And... Um, you know what I realized? Because I was thinking that Matt was the issue and God needed to deal with him. Um, God needed to deal with me. And my pride was being dealt with. And the recognition, my recognition then, it wasn't Matt who needed fixing, saving, healing, humbling. It was me. And I recognized and brought, was brought to an awareness that I was the one who needed God. And it was me that needed to come to the end of myself and look at God to lead me and to heal me and to love me and restore me. And it almost took losing my marriage and my family for me to understand that I needed a Savior. And it wasn't Matt. I needed a Savior who could heal me, who could restore me, who could redeem me. And I need to remember from that moment forward that I need saving every day for the rest of my life. And God is removing resources and provision from Gideon to increase Gideon's dependence on him. It is not to punish him. It is to lift his eyes and remind him he needs a savior. Comfort, complacency, ease, safety, all pull us away from depending on the Lord. It's so hard to recognize because we have to ask ourselves this question. If I have nothing left, if I lose everything, if things don't turn out okay, is God still good? Is he still who he says he is? And he's, he's still enough for me. And I think we can identify with Gideon because most of us, me included, we aren't going to be able to answer that, ask that question or even answer it until the rubber meets the road and things get hard. Because when things are good, we're awesome. And we don't need saving. In those low, weak, desperate moments when we are so empty of ourselves, that's when we are able to be filled by him. That's when we are able to say, okay, enough. I surrender. You're right, Lord. I got nothing left. And we are filled by him, And as the story continues, we see Gideon and he has 300 men armed with ram horns, torches, and empty water pitchers. Going for it. Okay? And he's like, okay. I don't really get this. And the Lord's like, hey, it's going to be okay. I want you to go down to the camp. I want you to sneak in. I want you to eavesdrop on what they're saying about you. About this impending battle. So he sneaks down with a servant. And he overhears a man telling his friend about a dream he had. And this dream was that he had a loaf of bread that fell down the hill, 
and knocked over all the tents. And his friend was like, dude, we're going to lose this. That dream was considered prophetic. And they were like, we are going to lose this. Gideon is going to defeat us. And Gideon heard this. And he is like, dude, they're scared. And they think we're going to win. And the Lord's going to hand us his victory. So he runs back and he tells his guys, grab your ram horns and water pitchers. We're going to win this thing. And you know what he does? He wins. And God gives him a victory. God shows him he can be victorious. He is worthy of our dependence and that he will bring us to a victory. That's what he's showing Gideon. And so we see God. He's dealing with the pride. Gideon is faced with the recognition that any power that he has comes from God alone. The Israelites will exalt themselves if they were left to their own device. But Gideon's recognizing the power his pride was getting could get in the way. He increases Gideon's dependence on him. He whittles his army down to 300 and says, okay, go do it. Gideon has no choice but to depend on the Lord. And the Lord is so good with him to allow him to go and hear that. And lastly, we see God building confidence in Gideon that God is exactly who he says he is. He gave Gideon the gift of hearing that a victory was coming and it would be for the glory of God. What confidence if you walked into a game knowing you were going to win? There's a different swag there. He has confidence in the Lord that he will go and win. And as we see weakness as a gift, as a valued thorn, those places are the places that we can anchor to Jesus. They aren't things that we have to hide away, but we can use them to increase our dependence on the Lord and stay anchored to his feet. The beauty of weakness is our awareness of it. Not only does it conquer our pride and increase our dependence, it builds our confidence in who God is and his character. Depletion and desperation often point us in directions we would normally not go. Depletion and desperation in my marriage pointed me to God, to church, a place that I was not willing to go before. And that's where God meets us. Oh, you thought you were going to go this way? Well, I have a whole other place for you to go. And it'll be uncomfortable and it's unexpected, and it's scary, and it feels daunting. But when we see him work, when we're obedient to him, when we're clear of our pride, we are dependent on him, we can see his provision and his promises and his will through our greatest places of pain and weakness. Paul tells us this treasure in jars of clay show the power that belongs to God, not us. That's why he uses the fragile and broken for light to shine through the cracks. Y'all, when you see God working through you, it changes everything. When you hear people fighting through their greatest pain for the glory of God, it changes everything. Because we see God show up we see God show up through people. 
We see his promises and grace and mercy in motion. It gives us confidence to truly believe and live knowing he is exactly who he says he is and a victory is coming. But many times we will experience the victory from our knees. In total desperation, need, pain, emptiness, humbled of our pride. That's where we will experience God's victory in our life. And my hope is that we don't ever forget how desperate we are in, how desperately we need a Savior. And I look at Gideon and I'm reminded of this story. All of these stories lead us back to the same place. We are desperately in need of a Savior. Each and every one of us. And with the recognition of our brokenness, we get to see the light through the very places that brought us to our knees. Weakness, that valued thorn, is what elevates Jesus in our life and keeps us anchored to his feet. Will you pray with me this morning?